Okay, okay. I don't know who it was, but I'm irritated at somebody. Could have been somebody in the first two services, maybe somebody here. But last week, okay, when you walk up to a garbage can at baptisms, right, and one says, like, plastic, and it's blue with a hole about this big in the top, what do you suppose goes in there? Plastic water bottles. Plastic. One next to it says aluminum. It's blue. It's got a hole on top about this big. What do you suppose goes in there? Man, you guys are quick. Apparently, must not have been you. Somebody walks over. Okay, chicken is not recyclable. Open it up right in there. A couple plates with chicken on top. There's a can right next to it. It says trash. That's trash. Oh, my goodness. All right, so I have one thing. Well, that was two now, but one thing. Two, three, I don't know. I'm going to ramble. I don't have anything after this service. I don't got to be out of here, so I'm going to yell at you guys all morning. No. Uh, uh, Christy is asking for a little bit of help with children's stuff, and you think, oh, I'd be horrible on children's. This is going to be an easy thing to do with children's, okay? You get to tell people where to go. I know some of you like doing that. Tell people where to go, right? So this is how this works. Uh, We have like a children's check-in outside, and parents come up and they check in their kids. Sometimes there's new people. And they're like, so where do I go? I got checked in. We really need a couple people to just say, hey, follow me. I'll show you where you go. I'll tell you where to go. Just, you know, show show them where to go and then drop off at their classroom so they know where to go. That's all we need. See how simple that is? You can do that. You can do that. If you would like to do that, let Christy know or sign up in the back of the Welcome Center and they'll get your name to her. It's really simple. Also, so we are actually truly starting planting roots this week. And so if you didn't get a journey guide, uh, there's journey guides around the room. So grab a journey guide. Oh, where's Mike Harmon? Right there. There he is. Your wife was looking for you. Sorry. No, she's right there. She walks in the room and she's doing this. Come on, kid. Look at that. Oh, the boys don't even move. For... For sh- you put chicken in my garbage can. Must have been you. Anyway, so uh, hopefully, who brought your Planting Roots books with you today? Good. You're better than first service. First service, nobody. Nobody. And I really let them have it. Right? So... Do your devotions every day. They're short, simple, and easy. My wife and I had some great discussions over it this week. Uh, and then bring them uh, with you. If you brought it with you, page 20 is where we're at today. We didn't really leave you places to write notes, but because we want you to just write all over it. When something strikes you and we're kind of hitting that section, just write in there and just kind of, you know, all over. So you just, it's a whole journey. It's like, oh, I'm working through the book. It's awesome. So journey guides, bring them with you. <sighs> okay. I see you. I'm doing it. I'm... Welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. It's for the video. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there is actually a version. So if you have a smartphone, you can download version. Only in the version though, is just the verses. You're not going to get any of the notes that go along with it. So we encourage you all to grab a journey guide, which those are gone and those are gone. Those are gone. We've got more in the back. Jeremiah. Journey guides. Right there. One. There's one right there, a couple right there. I think there's a couple in the hallway. We're going to have some journey guides, so if you need one, grab one of those. 
We're going to head through this. So why don't you stand with me, reading of God's Word. We'll get started. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us as a people and help us to understand your fatherhood in such a way that we live and speak to you and interact with other people as if you are our Father. That there would be great grace that we understand because of that and that we would understand adoption as your children. We ask that we would live lives that fully honor you because of all that you have done in and for us. Amen. Have a seat. This is the Sermon on the Mount, week 30. Uh, this is the last week of the Lord's Prayer and the first week of the Planting Roots journey. I promise you, I will finish the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, so far, we've talked about the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. The first week, we talked about the whole thing. The second week, the third week, kind of a little bit about focus and what to pray for. Today, we're going to go back to the whole thing of focus and understanding what that all looks like. I originally planned the Lord's Prayer to be two weeks, then it went to three And now it's four, because that's kind of how things go with me. And I know if you have been in church for any length of time in your life, you've probably heard you need to pray. And I hope over the last three to four weeks it has brought new understanding, give you a greater depth of understanding. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you have an element Bible, that's page 526. You are welcome. And as we go in and going to talk about what we talk about today... Uh, I don't want you to judge me for the terms I'm being used, because I have to use certain terms in order to make sense of this, but please don't think I'm saying anybody's better than anybody else, because I'm going to use the terms pagans versus Christians. I'm not saying, oh, Christians are just so much better. It's just the way I can do this to make an understanding out of it for you. So don't worry, it's not the week that I you know, said you're all killers and horrors, so if you're brought, like your mom with you this morning, you're going to be okay. I won't really say that other than, I guess, just that. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, the basis of prayer, and we have to start from the place where we understand that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that means he didn't just point the way to God, that he is the way to God. He is more than just a simple teacher. And if all that Jesus said is actually true, who he is and who he said he was, then prayer for a Christian becomes completely different than for anybody else in any other religion in the world. Now, there's surveys that are done all the time. Even this year, they've done these. And they ask people, have you prayed or do you pray? What is astounding about these surveys is the majority of people have Actually, more people have prayed or do pray than people that brush their teeth. I could explain a few things. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, I guess that's actually probably a good thing. Uh, but what Jesus does when he starts talking through the Lord's Prayer is he talks about a pagan way to pray versus a way to see yourself as a child of God and pray that way. So Matthew 6, verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, I know it says Gentiles there in the ESV. If you have an NIV, it probably says pagans. Uh, the, the word that he uses here is the word ethnikos. And to a Jew, when he said this, it would mean a people that worship something that was not the one true God. And so some translators will use the word pagan for that. And if we hear the word pagan, we think of like, you know, perverts and violent people and skeptical people and people who dance around naked, hugging trees, espousing the virtues of Deepak Chopra and Oprah and, and things like that. But, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Okay, Jesus is not saying, oh, those horrible people over there. What he's talking about is people who pray. 
He said, these are very religious people. They pray a lot, and their words add up to many words. And this becomes the dividing in a lot of humanity when it comes to prayer. Jesus says it's not the religious versus the irreligious. He says it's religion versus understanding what a Christian mind thought is supposed to be, seeing yourself as a child of God. And so this is what he says. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, a lot of people read this and they think, well, God doesn't want you to ask for anything. He already knows, uh, so, so don't ask. Well, in verse 11, we know that's not true because Jesus also says to pray, give us this day our daily bread. What Jesus is trying to point out here is that there are two bases that we get to approach God. You can approach God on a religious basis or on a basis of understanding Him as a Father, that we are children of God. Jesus says religious people, the pagans, think that they are heard because of the many words. They add so many words on top of just words and words and words and words and words. And He says you're not heard because of your many words. You are heard because God God is a father. And so he's not talking about whether to ask. He's talking about how to ask. Two different ways to approach God. Because you can pray, and lots of people call themselves Christians, and they recite our Father. But they're not actually praying our Father. They're just reciting the words. And that is a, just a simply religious mindset approaching God. Jesus points out that the difference of why people are heard. It's not the many words. It's that God is a Father. You can go to church. You can pray up a storm. You can be all busy. But none of that tells you if you're really a follower of Jesus. The question is, why do you think God hears you? Why do you think that? And so pagans and Christians, they both think they're being heard, but they're being heard for two different reasons. And that's what we're going to talk about today because a lot of Christians pray exactly like pagans and not like children of God. So we're talking about prayer and Christian prayer, bringing this all together, the, the true way to understand how we employ prayer on that basis. Uh, Jesus gives us what's called a resurrection model, and we should follow what Jesus said and did because we have great access to who God is. It comes down to our understanding, two ways to go to God, just like there are two Two ways that you approach people around you. Uh, when we approach anyone, whether we know it or not, we approach them really on a basis of give and take. I talk to you, you talk to me, I give you something, you give something back. And the deepness of our relationship is going to determine the deepness of our exchange. Like today, you go down to Santa Barbara today. You could ask anybody on the street two things. Number one, you could ask them, I need directions. Hey, where's the bowl? Anybody ever get lost trying to find the Santa Barbara bowl? Anybody, where can I park when I go to the bowl? That's even a better question, right? Because anybody ever never been to the bowl before? Don't. You're going to hate life trying to find a parking spot. No, it's a a cool place, but it's hard to find a parking spot. But, you know, so where do I park? uh, Where's the Reagan Library? Where's Westmont? You know, all those things. How do I get to the ocean? You can ask people those kind of things. You can ask directions. Why? Common humanity. We're all a little bit lost. We're all a little confused, so it's a little bit okay for all of us to do that. The second thing you can ask anybody for is time. Do you know what time it is? Or do you know what the date is? Not that you would know the answer without looking at your phone or asking somebody else, but you're, you're able to ask that thing. Directions and time are really the only thing you can ask universally anybody. You can't go down to the business district and say, hey, can I have your briefcase? Mine has a hole in it. You can't go down to South Central Los Angeles and say, hey, gangster, can I have your gun? It it just doesn't happen like that. If you want to ask for something like that, you have to have a deeper relationship in that. So Jesus shows the same thing. There's really only two ways to go to God. And it's kind of like the two ways that we approach each other. And yes, there are degrees and gradations and all of this, but essentially you can have a business relationship or a family relationship with someone. 
A business relationship is what I have for you. It's performance. You perform for me, I perform for you. A family relationship is what I am to you. It is commitment. It is permanent. It is ongoing forever. It's like if you live in someone's house. You can live as a tenant, a renter, or you can live as family. Those are just the normal ways it happens. And again, there are gradations in that. Like if you're a college kid, you're back from college, renting a room at home, that's a gradation in that. But essentially... You live as a, as a renter or as family. And if you live as a renter, there's a way you have a good relationship with your landlord. You pay the bills. You respect the property. That's simply how it is. The landlord has rules too. They maintain the place where you live and they respect your privacy as much as possible. The interchange becomes very mechanical. You know, it, it's, like, it's like goods and services being exchanged for each other. Now, I have had people rent for me. I do have people rent for me now, and they end up becoming friends. They're actually, I think, really good friends of mine. I, I love them a lot. And what happens, though, is sometimes that, that business relationship, that renter relationship I have with them always wants to change into something else. It becomes very hard sometimes. Uh, I hate yelling at them when, when I'm, like, mad at them or something. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, got this guy who rents for me, and I, I provide their Internet as well. And I get this letter from my Internet service provider that says, you're downloading Entourage Season 1. And I'm like, I'm not downloading Entourage Season 1. I don't watch Entourage. What am I? And so I go to him and I say, hey, what's this? Oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. I'm like, what are you doing? I got a big old mean letter. You're going to jail. $100,000. Like, I don't like this. You know? <laughs> don't download Entourage Season 1. Okay, I'll just get Season 2. No! <laughs> you know? Or if there's a little bolt, just needs to be tightened, and it doesn't get tightened, and, and something breaks off. And so this whole thing where it always tries to move from a business relationship to a family one, it's, and, and it, it gets kind of hard in there sometimes because there's all these gradations of that. Business is always based on performance. Family is based upon who you are. You know, one has to do with doing, the other has to do with your being, who you are. I mean, anybody here supervise other people at work. What happens, right, when you supervise people, you always kind of get to the place where you start to become friends with them. And then what happens when they do something stupid? And you've got to go yell at them. I'm talking to you now, not as your friend, but as your boss. And knucklehead, you know, knock out. It's, it's this tension that we live in between friends and relationships and business. Now, if you're a child and you live at home with your parents, it's the total opposite paradigm. Again, the business is performance is acceptance. The family is you're accepted. And because you're accepted, there are certain things we simply do because we live in the family. Two different ways about going about things. And so Jesus says you can approach God on a business basis or on a family basis. And how do you know how you see that relationship? How you pray. How you pray. How you approach him. And so he's looking at these very religious people these pagans, and showing them how they can tell. Because it's also good for people who call themselves the people of God. Because a lot of people who call themselves the people of God approach God the exact same way as someone who is merely religious. You babble and babble, and your words become many. He says, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Two weeks ago, I kind of explained what this meant. You know, this many words there is like empty phrases. The word empty phrases, it, it simply means stammering. You're just saying a bunch of words to say a bunch of words that don't mean anything. When you get to many words, it has this connotation of anxiousness. You're very anxious before God because you don't know what he's going to do. So when you, when you pray or you ask God for things, you go before him, things are going on in your life. When your prayers aren't answered, how do you respond to that? If God doesn't come through, how do you see it? Because if you're merely religious, you're either going to get cold or you're going to get anxious. You'll get cold because you performed and God didn't come through. I paid the rent. I deserve this. This is why Matthew 6 goes the way it does. I fasted. I prayed. I gave to planting roots. I did all these things. God keep up your end. 
Or it's going to be the exact opposite. You know, I didn't pray enough, and I feel really, really guilty. God's never going to give me what I want until I pay the rent. I let God down. You've got to be honest about your prayer life and how you see and treat God. Are you cold and angry or anxious and guilty? All that shows the wrong view and the wrong understanding of God. It shows that you see yourself as a renter and not a child. You see, the fundamental basis of your relationship with God is simply a business one. You have your duties. God has his duties. This is why a religious person can even say, Oh, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins and be my landlord. I will do my part. You do your part. But when you understand God is your father, as, as children of God are supposed to live, as Christians, it's supposed to be totally different. It's that God is a father. He has rescued and redeemed his wayward children. He has sought us and bought us. His son has paid for the debt that we had. He, Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And we now get to become children of God. It is simply amazing what takes place in that. There are two different paradigms. How do you tell how you approach God? Your prayer life. That's how you tell. Is it empty phrases, many words? Is it cold, impersonal, mechanical, no love, no grace, no sweetness to your prayers? And sometimes when I talk like this, I freak people out because they think I'm always judging their prayers. Like, I'm never going to pray in front of him. He's going to think I'm a pagan. No, no, no. It's, that's not the point. It's not about eloquence. It's not about duration. It's not about articulateness. It's the idea, are your prayers cold and calculated? Do you get irritated with God because you think he never comes through? Or are you always guilty and say, oh, I better pray a lot more. I better pray for my lack of character and I better get on this. Oh, I've never been really a good Christian. You know, is that your prayer life? That's cold. Or is it warm and full of life? Even when you're unsure what God is doing or unsure where you're supposed to be. Is it of a renter or is it of a child? I mean, I hope by the end of this message you will see why this is so critical, especially when you come to the beginning of planting roots. Because so many people think, oh, Element just wants our money. And no, we start with the place of understanding who God is first and foremost as our Father. That is the place where everything must begin. Because if it doesn't begin there, nothing else is ever going to make sense. If you understand God is your Father, it breeds hope in your life. You give hope to other people. It breeds communication with God and with other people. It brings about community that we can be involved in with each other. No matter what they do to us and we've done to them, we can come and reconcile with each other. This is why Jesus doesn't start the Lord's Prayer with our King, even though he is a king. He doesn't start with our creator, even though he is the creator. He doesn't even start with our friend, even though we are told we can become friends of God. He starts with our father. Because even friendship, it's a hybrid between business and family. It's based on family and performance. Now, you can, be, you can have a really bad family. I mean, I know some of you do. You know? and, and you look at this and it makes no sense. Because my family's a wreck. How am I supposed to be, understand this family of God? I will tell you, even the messiness of a family and the pain and brokenness just proves what I'm saying. Because we feel that brokenness so strongly. See, we still have dealings with sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles. We still have dealings with those people where if they were just friends, we would have written them off a long time ago. We still talk to them where if they were just friends, we would have stopped talking a long time ago. Why do we keep that interchange? Because they are family. They're still your mother or brother or son, no matter what they do. God is our creator, our king, our friend, but Jesus says you start with our father. That's where it must start. I mean, our Father, those two little words relating to everything else about your relationship with God. I think it's the reason why Jesus starts the way that he does. These pagans, they are the ones who pray a lot. They say a lot of words. They may even pray more than God's people. But they don't understand the relationship that God longs to have with them. They don't understand the difference between that and our Father. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 1. 
John chapter 1. It's on page 576, if you have an element Bible, by the way. You're welcome, again. See, Jesus is probably saying you can pray all this and over and over and over, but it really doesn't matter because you're not understanding you're a, you're a child, you're adopted, you're wanted, you are loved. That's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. In John 1, verses 12 and 13, this is what John says. He says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, a Christian is someone who is adopted, given rights. They are brought in. And if you don't understand that, you'll never really understand prayer, relationship with God, or what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. See, adoption is not a result of the child's efforts. The child doesn't seek it. The child hardly even knows what's going on. Adoption is an act of the father. And half the time in adoption, a child's behavior doesn't change right away. I mean, if you adopt an unruly child, you love and discipline them, they will eventually hopefully start to change, but not right off the bat. I mean, you ask my friend Jamie Baker. She's a foster mom, does it all the time, and she brings the kids, and it's a long time for their actions to start changing. What adoption does is it makes a legal status change. It doesn't start with behavior. It starts with the status change. It means that the father adopts a child and brings that child into a family. If the child misbehaves, he cannot be sent to another home because home is where the father is. You are there no matter whether you misbehave or not. When you adopt someone, you are committing to love and care for them like you would a natural born child. John 17, verse 11, Jesus says, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. See those words in there? Even as, those are astounding words that we live our lives by. How much does the Father love Jesus? How much? Tons. Uh, This much. Uh, Right? It's hard to put that into words, right? Because it's like, how how do I define that? Because it's ginormous. Right? It's, it's astounding. It's uh, whatever metaphor you want to use. It's, it's big. Right? Think of that. As, as, as committed as the Father is to Jesus, as much as he loves Jesus is as much as he loves you. That is the even as. That is adopted into his family because we are now sons and daughters. Now, some people hear this and they say, well, that's cheap grace. Well, that's just too easy. That response shows that they see it as a renter, a tenant relationship, and not a child relationship. If you say, well, I've got to work for it, I've got to give something, then you miss grace. See, it's the reason Jesus brings this whole thing up. He wants to show the difference between merely religious people, the pagans, and what a child of God, a Christian, is supposed to be. It's not irreligious versus religious, but religious, the business relationship versus the family relationship. Timothy Keller writes this. He says, in many cases, Christians are those who have moved from being religious to being Christians, who have moved from seeing Jesus as an example for our emulation to being a representative for our substitution. See, Jesus, again, died the death we should have died. He lived the life we should have lived. Upon his death and his life, we base everything. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, page 649. You're welcome again. Okay. If we understand this adoption model, it should change everything. We start with the doctrine of adoption. We've got to saturate ourselves with the fact that we have been legally adopted by God's act, not ours. That he is as committed to us as he is to Jesus. Our Father in heaven, every time we pray, we must understand that. That he is our dad. Any dealing with God, we understand the fatherhood of God. And what that will do is it will change the throne of the universe that rules over into a throne of grace. 
Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, with our weakness, sorry, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Beautiful words. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, our Father. And one of the first things this week in the journey guides that it talks about is this idea of... uh, uh, how do you pray to God? How do you address Him as Father? And so my wife and I were talking about this week. She, she was working that, and the next day, and I kept her up really late because I'm like, "Hey, let's talk." She's like, ah, "I gotta go to bed." You know, whatever. Okay, but but so we talked about this, and 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 I said, "So what?" Did, I said, "What did you call your dad? Did you call your dad Father, Dad? You know, growing up?" And and she she didn't actually speak English till she was five years old, and she always called her dad Papa. And so I said, "Well, that, do you, do you call God Father?" And she goes, "No, it should be weird," you know. And so, we, and so we, we had a really good conversation about it. And that's part of what those journey guides are supposed to do for you, start these conversations. This, I, our Father, you have to understand, in the Lord's Prayer, it does have praise. It has praise. Hallowed be your name. It has petition. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. It has submission and confession as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. But he starts with... Our Father. He says it's not another type of prayer along all these other types of prayers. Our Father is the way all prayer must be done. It's how we understand it. Because if we don't understand God as Father, we're going to be... I don't know if you guys saw this. A couple years ago, there was this news story that came out. We're going to be like this lady. She died in abject poverty, and yet in her attic, she had an original Raphael painting. And they go through her house, and they find this. I mean, this thing is like priceless as how much this thing is worth. And yet she lived in abject poverty. In the same way, when we don't grasp the fullness of our Father, we live in a poverty of our lives and not in the fullness of the grace that God wants us to live in and understand. This is why he says, you know, religious people, pagans are never going to be able to pray like Christians should be able to pray. But too many Christians pray like pagans. And when you use adoption, it changes the way we look at everything. Let me give you three quick ways this changes everything. First off, it changes how we praise God. It changes that. Understanding we are in God's family is the only way we can actually adore God like we're called to. First uh, John 3, 1 says, See what kind, that's also the word for great, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Kind, great, that's the word patapos. It means like what country, it has this connotation of a, of a large country that's unfathomable about how big it is. What country does God's love come from? It comes from a place that is unfathomable. So we look at ourselves and say, it's a miracle that we are ever saved. It is all grace. That's the difference between a renter and a Christian. A renter, you know, praise is totally unnatural. You can bring your list to God and have a million things to pray about that you want, but all of a sudden when you begin to talk to God about how great He is, praising Him becomes very, very hard because praise means nothing. Adoration means nothing. See, to Christians, the whole idea of salvation, understanding it's a free gift, borders, you know, renters, they think, well, I paid the rent. I I should get this. I was a a good person. And when a renter gets an answer to prayer, they say, well, of course I got an answer to prayer. I, I worked hard. I was moral. I was decent. Of course my prayer was answered. And a Christian, anytime a prayer is answered, we're just like, God, you are sneaking amazing. I cannot believe this. You are so good to me. I am floored by your infinite grace. If you ask a renter, are you a Christian? They're like, oh, of course, I'm a Christian. You ask a Christian, and there's no really of courseness about it at all. They say, well, it's true, and it's incredible, and I can't believe it. It's a miracle that God loves me. See what kind of love. 
the Father has given to us. That's a statement of being astounded. I mean, if you work hard all week, you get a paycheck at the end of the week, right? And you don't, and you don't go, oh, see what kind of love my boss has for me that he gave me this paycheck that I worked so hard for all week. You don't, you don't do that because you worked for it and so you get a paycheck. When we say, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, it's simple amazement about anything in our life. And when God answers prayer, if you are not in a place of source of wonder and praise, it means you probably see yourself more as a renter than a child. The second thing this leads into is repentance. Repentance. Religious people and Christians both repent of their sins, and they know that our, our sins are bad. But pagans do not repent of their righteousness, and Christians do. Our righteous acts are still like filthy rags before him. Our best efforts all fall short. That's why we trust Jesus. Renters, on the other hand, think their deeds are rent. They expect life to go well. Where a Christian, again, sees everything as a gift. There's this old hymn, and it's called Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. It says, Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. That is the language of a child. You know, Jesus has come and paid for everything. Let us wonder, grace and justice, join and point to mercy store. When through grace and Christ our trust is just as smiles and asks no more. He who washed us with his blood has secured our way to God. That is the understanding of how praise and repentance go hand in hand together because without our Father there is no holy be your name and there is no petition which is give us this day our daily bread. It goes all the way into petition. Jesus says it's part of a Christian's job to bug God. In Luke 11, the parallel passage of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells all these parables around it, and he tells you to be persistent in prayer. In Greek, this is the word shameless. Shameless. Okay, God loves his kids to come and bug him. You pray for every little thing. This is why I gave you the whole thing the first week you started in prayer, you know, where every moment of the day you're praying about all these things because only someone who sees God as Father could ever do that. Now, guys, look, yes, we see God as great. Moses stands before the burning bush, and God says, take off your sandals. Place your sandals on holy ground. Tells the Israelites, don't touch the mountain when I'm on it, because you could die. Right? But we also understand the idea that God is our Father, and we are his children. The only person who would dare to wake up a king who is in charge of a country at 3 a.m. and ask him to get them a drink of water is his own child. That's the only person who would do that. No other religion tells you to be shameless before God, because nobody sees him as Father. Like Jesus said, we are to see him. If there is no our Father, there's no holy is your name, there's no holy is your name, there's no give us this day our daily bread, there's no give us this day our daily bread, there's no thy will be done. A renter expects always to understand what the landlord is always doing. I'm a renter, I paid my rent, tell me what you're doing, what's this, what are you doing over there, how's that? But a child, a child knows that they're never going to understand their parents all the time. They're just not. Children must come to the place where they trust their parents. And sometimes, yes, a good father gives you what you asked for. But more importantly, a lot of times they say no and give you what you should have asked for if you knew everything that the father knew. A child must trust their father. This is how we must see and approach God. Trusting him as our father. Just like a child can trust their dad. And I know some of you in this room, you probably had horrible dads growing up. You probably did. God is not your dad. Okay, God is not your dad. He is a father that all fathers should come to the place and emulate. A father who is good and loves his kids and seeks the welfare of his children. 
in everything. And again, this is why we start this whole planting roots journey at this place. A lot of people thought that last week would have been a much better place, and I gave you all the things to pray for and all that. But we wanted to start here. I mean, we broke down the band a little bit. They're a little more quieter, a little more subdued. This message is a little more serious because this is a place where it must start. We must be here at the place where we understand that God is our Father first. And if we don't, we're going to come to planting roots and we're going to be praying about a number. Oh God, give me a number. What am I supposed to give? Do I have to give anything? That is not where you start. You start at the place where you understand that we are children. And our Father has sought us and redeemed us. And our Father loves us. And so what we're going to do this morning is we've got some people coming up. And they're going to hand you these things. I don't get used to this. I know Planting Roots are giving you guys a lot of stuff. Don't get used to us giving you things every week. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to come and we're going to hand out these little dirt bags. Okay? Dirt bags are for a couple things. Uh, number one, uh, they're dirt out of our field out here. Okay? First off is to remind you that you are a dirt bag. Actually, no. You are no longer. It does. It does. Believe me, I am a dirt bag. No. It's to remind you, you know what? You are no longer a dirtbag. You are a child of God. That is who you are. That is who you are. You know, in all the times that you feel like you are a dirtbag, stop. That's the enemy. You are a child of God. You have been adopted. You are loved. The second thing it's for, though, is to remind you to pray about planting roots. You know, it's, it's the, the, apparently the dirt from our field is very fine and thin because it tends to leak out the bottom of the bag, but that's okay. Put it on your dashboard, put it on your desk at work, put it on your kitchen counter at home, whatever it is. And when you see it, you know, start off, God, thank you for being my father. Thank you. Help me to understand what that is more and more as I go through my daily life. Help me to understand that I am first adopted, I am first wanted and loved, and that I am yours. And then start praying, oh God, do you want me to do anything about planting roots? You know, use that as kind of an impetus to look at, remember to begin praying about planting roots and where God wants you to be in it. Because our God is a Father, and He is good, and He loves us more than we could ever imagine. How much does He love Jesus? Uh, it's just like that. It's just like that. That's how much He loves you. This brings us to communion. Uh, we come to communion every single week. Because communion is the place to remember that Jesus came and died for us. That's where you break that cracker like his body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I to take away all that separated us from God, all of our sin. But not just that, he also rose from the dead, which raises us to new life. And so whatever separated us from other people is also taken away as well. Relationships can be reconciled. Relationships can be redeemed. All because God is our Father. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you to sing these songs. One of the songs is actually going to be Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. It'll be kind of cool. Hopefully you guys will be like, oh, now I know how it goes. It's not really how it originally went, but it's close. You know, we'll, we'll live with that. Uh, and so we invite you to sing. There's some decent deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you're in a place in your life where you've never understood the fatherhood of God and who he is. Today is, it's okay. I have this thing's like as tall as he is. But I can also tell you, he's stronger than me. He picks that thing, he's all, Ooh, and I'm all, wow, look at that. <laughs> Sorry, if you need prayer, <laughs> be some deacons and elders in the back. And uh, they would love to pray with you, especially, <laughs> especially if you don't you know, understand the whole idea of God as a father or what that means. Talk to them some more about that. 
they would, they would love to spend some time with that. There's also offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what God has done, so you have that opportunity. There's also food and stuff in the back. Uh, I hid a couple of the peanut butter cookies so I could eat them. But uh, we might you grab something to eat and meet some other people. But most importantly, guys, today, today, spend some time thinking about God as Father. A God that has adopted us into his family. You know, adoption is because somebody wanted you. He wanted us to be his children. And again, it's not because we're so great. It's because he is so great. He wanted us, he loved us, he sought us, and he bought us. We have been adopted by a wonderful heavenly father. And that is the place where we not only just start planting roots, but it's the place we start all of our lives and understanding of how to really worship and love him and other people around us. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning you would teach us to understand more and more what it means to live as your children, uh, to understand the depth of your grace and your mercy that you have adopted us because you wanted us, that we'd be a people who love and sing and wonder of the greatness of our God who has saved us, that we would speak of the goodness of of who you are, not just with our lips, but with our actions. That we would speak to you as a child and speak to a father. Because quite honestly, a lot of times we don't know what to say. We don't know how to string our words together in a way that we think has to make sense. And yet you, as our God, are telling us that you just want us to talk to you. It's not about saying the right things in the right ways. It's not formulas. It's not many words. It's that we're heard because you're our Father. And you know what our hearts are trying to say, even when our words can't even articulate it correctly. And we thank you for that. We thank you for being good to us. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, you are holy and you are good. And you have bought us and paid for us to bring us home into your family. And I ask that we would live the trueness of that. By how we worship you and how we love others and how we live this life that you have so graciously given to us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.